Welcome back to the Bible Podcast. We're reading through 2 Samuel. Today is April 10th, and we'll cover chapters 3, 4, and 5. Let's begin. 2 Samuel chapter 3. There was a long war between those on the side of Saul and those on the side of David. David's side grew stronger while Saul's side grew weaker. David's sons born at Hebron were Amnon the firstborn by Ahinoam from Jezreel, Chiliab second by Abigail, Nabal's wife from Carmel, Absalom third by Maacah, daughter of King Tamai of Geshur, Adonijah fourth by Haggith, Shephatiah fifth by Abital, Ithream sixth by David's wife Eglah. These were the sons born to David at Hebron. Abner had been strengthening his position among the supporters of Saul's dynasty during the war between those on the side of Saul and those on the side of David. Saul had a concubine named Rizpah, daughter of Aya. One day, Ishbosheth accused Abner, saying, Why have you been sleeping with my father's concubine? The accusation made by Ishbosheth made Abner extremely angry. Am I a dog's head siding with Judah? He replied. Right up to the present day, I have been loyal to your dynasty, to your father Saul, and to his brothers and friends. I haven't betrayed you to David, but now you dare accuse me of sinning with this woman? So now may God punish me severely if I don't help David achieve what the Lord has promised him. I will hand over the kingdom from Saul's dynasty and help set up David's rule over Israel and Judah, from Dan to Beersheba. Ishbosheth didn't dare say anything else to Abner because he was frightened of him. Then Abner sent messengers to speak for him to David, saying, Who does the country belong to anyway? Make an agreement with me, and you can be sure I'll be on your side to have all of Israel follow you. Fine, David replied, I'll make an agreement with you, but I have one condition. I won't see you unless you bring Saul's daughter, Michal, when you come. Then David sent messengers Tell Ishbosheth, son of Saul, give me back my wife Michal. I paid a dowry for her of one hundred Philistine foreskins. Ishbosheth sent for her and took her away from her husband Paltiel, son of Laish. Her husband followed her to the town of Barum, crying as he went. Then Abner ordered him, Go back home. So he went home. Abner spoke with the elders of Israel and said, For a while now you have wanted to have David as your king. Now is the time to do it, because the Lord promised David, Through my servant, I'm going to save my people Israel from the Philistines and all their enemies. Abner also talked to the people of Benjamin and went to Hebron to let David know everything that the Israelites and the whole tribe of Benjamin had decided to do. Abner came with twenty of his men to see David at Hebron, and David prepared a feast for them. Abner told David, Let me go immediately and summon all of Israel to come together for my lord, the king so they may make an agreement with you, and that you may rule over all you wish. Then David sent Abner safely on his way. But just after David had sent Abner away in safety, Joab and some of David's troops returned from a raid, bringing much plunder with them. When Joab arrived, he was told that Abner had just been there visiting with the king and had been sent away in safety. Joab rushed to the king and demanded, What have you done? What do you mean by letting Abner get away? You know perfectly well that he came to spy on you and find out everything you're doing. When Joab left David, he sent messengers after Abner. They met up with him at the well of Sirah and 
brought him back, but David didn't know anything about it. When Abner arrived back in Hebron, Joab took him aside into the town gatehouse, as if he was going to talk with him in private. But Joab stabbed him in the belly, killing him in revenge for killing Joab's brother, Asahel. When David heard about this later, he said, I and my kingdom are totally innocent before the Lord regarding the death of Abner, son of Ner. May the guilt for his death fall on Joab and his family. May Joab's descendants always have someone who is running sores or leprosy or is crippled or who is killed by the sword or starving. This is why Joab and Abishai, his brother, killed Abner because he had killed their brother Asahel during the battle at Gibeon. Then David ordered Joab and everyone who was there, tear your clothes, put on sackcloth, and mourn for Abner. King David himself followed the body as it was carried to the grave. They buried Abner in Hebron, and the king cried loudly at the grave, along with all the people. The king sang this lament for Abner. Did Abner deserve to die like a criminal? Your hands were not tied together, your feet were not in shackles, but just like a murderer's victim, you too were killed. All the people cried for him even more. Then people came to David and tried to persuade him to have something to eat during the day, but David swore an oath, saying, May God punish me severely if I eat bread or anything else before sunset. Everyone saw this and thought it was the right thing to do, in the same way that they had thought everything the king did was the right thing to do. That day, everyone in Judah and throughout Israel realized that David had not ordered Abner's murder. Then the king said to his officers, Don't you recognize that a commander and a truly great man has fallen in Israel today? I am weak right now, even though I am anointed as king, and these men, the sons of Zuriah, are too powerful for me. But may the Lord repay the evil man according to the evil he has done. Chapter 4 When Ishbosheth, son of Saul, heard that Abner had died in Hebron, he was very discouraged, and everyone in Israel was shocked. Ishbosheth had two commanders of his raiding bands, brothers by the name of Bana and Rechab. They were the sons of Rimon, of the tribe of Benjamin from the town of Beeroth. Beeroth is considered part of the territory of Benjamin because the people who had lived in Beeroth before ran away to Gitaim and lived there as foreigners right up to the present. Jonathan, son of Saul, had a son lame in both feet. He was five years old when the news about the deaths of Saul and Jonathan had come from Jezreel. His nurse had picked him up and ran away, but as she rushed to get away, he fell and became lame. His name was Mephibosheth. Rechab and Banna, sons of Rimon from Beeroth, went to Ishbosheth's house, arriving in the heat of the day as the king was taking his midday rest. The woman doorkeeper had been cleaning wheat, but she had grown tired and fallen asleep. So Rechab and Banna were able to slip inside. They had gone into the house while Ishbosheth was asleep on his bed in his bedroom. After stabbing and killing him, they cut off his head, which they took with them, and they traveled all night by the Jordan Valley Road. They took the head of Ishbosheth to David in Hebron. They told the king, Here is the head of Ishbosheth, son of Saul, your enemy who tried to kill you. Today the Lord has taken revenge on Saul and his family for my lord the king. But David answered Rechab and his brother Banna, sons of Rimon from Beeroth, as the Lord lives who has saved me from all my troubles. When someone told me, look, Saul is dead, 
and he thought he was bringing me good news, I grabbed him and had him put to death. Ziklag, or Ziklog. That was what he got for bringing me this news. Even more so then, when evil men kill a good man in his own house and in his own bed, shouldn't I demand you pay for his life with your own lives and exterminate you? David gave the order to his men, and they killed Rechab and Banna. They chopped off their hands and feet and hung their bodies by the pool in Hebron. Then they took Ishbosheth's head and buried it in Abner's grave in Hebron. Chapter 5 All the tribes of Israel came to David at Hebron and told him, We are your flesh and blood. Previously, when Saul was our king, you were the one who led the Israelite army into battle. The Lord told you, You will be the shepherd of my people Israel, and you will be their ruler. All the elders of Israel came to the king at Hebron, where King David made an agreement with them in the Lord's presence. Then they anointed him king of Israel. David was 30 when he became king, and he reigned for 40 years. He reigned over Judah seven years and six months from Hebron, and he reigned over all of Israel and Judah for 33 years from Jerusalem. David the king and his men went to Jerusalem to attack the Jebusites who were living there. The Jebusites told David, You'll never enter here. Even the blind and lame could stop you. They were convinced that David could not get in. But David did capture the fortress of Zion, now known as the city of David. At that time, he said, if we are to successfully conquer the Jebusites, we'll have to go up the water shaft to attack these lame and blind, these people who hate David. This is why it said, the blind and the lame will never enter the house. David went and lived in the fortress and named it the city of David. He extended it in all directions, starting from the outer supporting terraces and moving inwards. David became increasingly powerful, for the Lord God Almighty was with him. King Hiram of Tyre sent representatives to David, together with cedar timber, carpenters, and stonemasons, and they built a palace for David. David realized that the Lord had installed him as king of Israel and had made his kingdom great for the sake of his people Israel. After he moved from Hebron, David added more concubines and wives from Jerusalem, and he had more sons and daughters. These are the names of his children born in Jerusalem. Shamua, Shobab, Nathan, Solomon, Ibar, Elishua, Nepheg, Japhia, Elishama, Eliada, and Eliphaleh. When the Philistines heard that David had been anointed king of Israel, the whole Philistine army came out to capture him, but David found out and went inside the stronghold. The Philistines came and spread out across the valley of Rephaim. David asked the Lord, Should I go and attack the Philistines? Will you hand them over to me? Yes, go, the Lord replied, for I will definitely hand them over to you. David went to Baal-perazim, and he defeated the Philistines there. Like a flood that bursts out, so the Lord has burst out against my enemies right before me, David declared. So he named that place Baal-perazim. The Philistines left their idols behind, and David and his men removed them. A while later, the Philistines came again and spread out across the valley of Rephaim. David asked the Lord what to do, and the Lord replied, Don't attack them directly, the Lord replied. Instead, circle around behind and attack them near the poplar trees. When you hear a sound like marching feet in the tops of the poplar trees, be on the alert. That will be the signal that the Lord is moving ahead of you to strike down the Philistine army. 
So David did what the Lord commanded, and he struck down the Philistines all the way from Gibeon to Gezer. So we read there in chapter 5 that David captures Jerusalem. Jerusalem was a functioning city as early as 400 years before David. It was never fully captured during the conquest and the period of the judges, and peaceful relations were evidently established between the independent Jebusite peoples and the surrounding Israelites. So impregnable was Jerusalem that the Old Testament records only three successful invaders, David, Jehoash, and Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon. Even Sennacherib, one of Assyria's mightiest emperors, preferred accepting tribute money over attempting to seize the city. Whatever David's method of capturing Jerusalem and his use of the water tunnel is debatable. He secured Jerusalem as the political and eventual spiritual capital of Israel. Here's what Psalm 48 says of Jerusalem. How great is the Lord, how deserving of praise in the city of our God, which sits on his holy mountain. It is high and magnificent. The whole earth rejoices to see it. Mount Zion, the holy mountain, is the city of the great king. God himself is in Jerusalem's towers, revealing himself as its defender. The kings of the earth joined forces and advanced against the city, but when they saw it, they were stunned. They were terrified and ran away. They were gripped with terror and writhed in pain like a woman in labor. You destroyed them like the mighty ships of Tarshish, battered by a powerful east wind. We had heard of the city's glory, but now we have seen it ourselves. The city of the Lord of Heaven's armies, it is the city of our God. He will make it safe forever. O God, we meditate on your unfailing love as we worship in your temple. As your name deserves, O God, you will be praised to the ends of the earth. Your strong right hand is filled with victory. Let the people on Mount Zion rejoice. Let all the towns of Judah be glad because of your justice. Go, inspect the city of Jerusalem. Walk around and count the many towers. Take note of the fortified walls and tour all the citadels, that you may describe them to future generations. For that is what God is like. He is our God forever and ever, and he will guide us until we die. Psalm 48 speaks beautifully and powerfully of Jerusalem as a fortress. Its towers and easily defensible citadels with their rugged terrain could produce a false sense of security, if not even idolatry. Psalm 48, verse 1 through 3, reminds us that God's living presence, not the topography of the city, made Jerusalem safe. Looking back in recent history, on the morning of April 10th, 1942, American and Filipino prisoners were herded together by Japanese soldiers on Marivale's airfield in the Philippines for what became known as the Bataan Death March. The day before, 75,000 exhausted troops had surrendered to the Japanese. Most were forced to march about 65 miles to prison camps. Many of the weary perished from disease and mistreatment. During the brutal six-day march, they were given only one bowl of rice per person. Some 5,200 Americans and many more Filipinos died in the march. This horrendous death march forever entered history as one of the war's greatest atrocities. War is always brutal and deadly. As General Sherman said so eloquently, war is hell. David knew his share of war, even though he didn't relish its fruits. God had given him great victories over all the enemies that threatened to destroy Israel. 
The nation's fight was one for survival, with David being chosen to lead the battle. David would be forced to fight God's enemies for years because the evil one was so determined to destroy God's people. It was a brutal and bloody time for the nation. They were often outnumbered and ill-equipped, yet through it all they were victorious. David rightly attributed all victories to the Lord. Looking back, victory over our enemies doesn't come in one fell swoop, but over a long period of time. David defeated the Philistines, although it took nearly a lifetime to accomplish. No foe is too strong for the Lord to defeat. Though the enemies of Israel were formidable, God gave David victory wherever he went. He need never be intimidated. The wealth of the wicked is reserved for the righteous. Because David loved God and did his will, he took gold from Israel's enemies and brought it to God's people. All the resources we have gleaned should be dedicated to God. David carefully dedicated all spoils of war. He knew that all things belonged to God. God gives recognition to those who faithfully follow him. David was given acclaim after he had faithfully accomplished God's will and way. Let's pray. Help me, Lord, to fight my battles with determination so that I might always please you. May I always remember that you alone give me the victory. There's victory in Jesus. Hallelujah. Folks, thanks for tuning in and really looking forward to being with you April 11th as we cover 2 Samuel chapter 6, 7, and 8. Thank you.